0: Welcome, welcome, welcome,
1: welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast, Roadshow edition where we're bringing you the latest updates from the NetApp Insight 2016 conference here in Las Vegas. Today was the last day of the NetApp Insight conference, and I rounded up whomever was left in Insight Central to do a recap. That included most of the NetApp A team. All right, so we're on the last day of NetApp Insight 2016 here in Las Vegas. Um, day th- the last day of Insight in Vegas is usually the slow day uh, for people who aren't presenting because it's the recovery day after the party. Uh, and the event. So you know they had the event on the beach and people went out and had some good times. Uh, so most people, you know, they either don't go to sessions or they just kind of take it easy. I brought the NetApp A team here, not just to talk about today, but to also talk about the entire conference as a whole and some of the highlights they saw and some of the things that they liked the most about the messaging that was brought across. So I also brought some of the SolidFire guys in here to give us an uh, insight into how the conference was from their perspective, because this is their first conference uh, at NetApp Insight. All right, we're gonna go around the room first and we're gonna introduce everybody. They're gonna tell us who they are and what they do and where they work. So we'll start with this man right here.
1: Hi, I'm Adam Berg, I work for Presidio. I am the data center practice lead and you can follow me on Twitter
2: at AJ Berg. Adam was actually our video guy all week. He was doing some video interviews. Fantastic job there, Adam. Um, God, we let this guy in? Hi,
3: my name is Pete Fletcher and I work for a small virtualization company called VMware. Okay, cool. Cool story, bro. All right, uh, you.
4: I'm Jesse Anderson. I'm a senior engineer for iVision in the cloud group. Uh, I can be found on Twitter,
2: at Sockeyes51. All right, and uh, I love, I, I Maple Leaf Canada. Hey there, OnTap listeners, Tech on tap listeners.
4: Chris Mackey out of Scalar Decisions in Vancouver, Canada. I am a solutions architect there.
2: Can I follow you on Twitter? You can. It's at Chris Mackey. All right, M-A-K-I, like the shark. Or the fish. Or the fish, whatever. Shark, they're same things. Can you say my last name properly? Yeah, yeah. Makey? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Glenn <laughs> Glenn, you hear that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Glenn. Um, this guy. Taylor Riggan, chief architect for iVision. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at T Riggin, uh, T-R-I-G-G-A-N. You also have a blog, right? What's that blog called? Wafflehouse.com.
2: Love it. That's the waffle as in like waffle file system, W-A-F-L. Um so I got this guy, he's got some dinosaur action going on here.
5: Uh who who are you? Dan Barber, solution architect for Presidio. Alright, and can we follow you on Twitter? You can. Dan C. Barber. Do we
2: want to follow you on Twitter? You do.
5: And not the other Dan Barber. There's another Dan Barber? Yeah. He's a chef.
2: Oh, okay. Good to know. Interesting facts. Facts, you can only get on the Tech contact podcast, apparently. All right, um, you, you have lots of buttons and
6: some stickers. Uh, who, who are you? I'm Rory McBride from ROECS in the UK. I'm a technical account manager uh, in the UK looking after uh, our partners over there. All right, thanks, Rory. Uh, can we follow you on Twitter? You can. It's McBride underscore Rory. All right,
2: uh, this guy looks angry. I'm Jarrett Colm with High Availability Inc. You can
7: follow me on Twitter at JK47TheWeapon. So where did you get this smile,
2: I am smiling button? Because that is awesome. Just like everywhere, get it from Amazon. Uh, So we got some new guys here. Let's start with
3: this one, uh, the control freak. This one right here is a control freak. My name is Kyle Murley. I am a senior systems engineer with SolidFire. Work for NetApp. Really glad to be here. He has a Twitter account. It's at my name, at Kyle Murley. That's fantastic. Very, very better-toned voice. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right, we got this other guy here.
8: What up? Mike Turner from SolidFire, influence marketing team. One and only Mike T on Twitter.
2: All right, and last but not least, oh, no. Atanas.
9: Yeah, I'm Atanas Try to spell that. And I work for Internet as cloud architect. Do you have a Twitter account? Well,
2: try to spell that too. It's at Prejdarov. Okay, so let me see it and I'll spell it for people so they can actually understand it. Uh, it's at P-R-E-Z-H-D-A-R-O-V. Is that right? Easy. That's so easy. You too can have a really long Twitter account name. It's just just magical. All right, so who wants to go first and talk about some of the highlights from NetApp Insight? Anyone, I'm just gonna pick somebody if you don't raise your hand. Hey, Jared. So NetApp Insight highlights, you are a hard man to impress sometimes, and, you know, admittedly so, right? I mean, you're, you're actually proud of the fact that you are grumpy sometimes. So in your um, overall impression, what impressed you the most? And what sort of things would you like to see improve? I definitely enjoyed the
7: focus on DevOps and the future of APIs. Uh, not just from the solid fire, which the presentation was awesome, but the fact that NetApp's putting a lot of emphasis on changing out from more of the older, archaic uh, Zappy to Swagger and other more, more open standards. Uh, but also that they brought in uh, groups like V Brown Bag for the lightning talks and uh, the uh, tech field day crew.
2: Yeah, that was, I think that was pretty good, to, uh, a good move on our part, or not on my part, I didn't do anything, but the people who set that up, so like um, Mike Turner and Kelsey Cook and Amy Lewis, they did a great job. And also uh, the, the Tech Field Day stuff, I mean, Tim Waldron was instrumental in bringing those guys in, uh, making sure that they're here as a presence, as, as influencers, and I think that means a lot to people who aren't necessarily aware of what NetApp's trying to do, because then when they start hearing it from the influencers they trust, then they start to, to understand the messaging a little better. Um, okay, so let's go to one of the SolidFire guys. Who wants to talk about the conference highlights from a SolidFire perspective? I'll cover it. Okay, so, so Mike Turner, you worked the Bring on the Future booth, so you got a lot of people coming through and, and you had a lot of conversations about SolidFire in general. How was NetApp Insight from your perspective and what sort of conversations were you having with customers? Well, our, our customers' conversations were a little different because we were trying to bring more of a personal element to the whole conference Had didn't have that before. So we had the social media hub where people could come get social training. We had the V Brown Bag stage you guys talked about. We actually had one-to-one mentoring. We had VPs. We had CIOs. We had all kinds of high-level folks. People could just get mentored with their careers for free, and that was great, as well as the photo booth. Everybody loved the photo booth, obviously, by the
8: giant inflatable dinosaurs to my right. It was great. So the customer we didn't have we, we kinda gave people a break from the tech stuff and just told them to invest in themselves and we had a nice chill lounge. It was fun. We had a great
2: time. Were you using the photo booth as like maybe like resume pictures as well? Like yeah. could, I, could I get a resume picture with a giant dinosaur? You could. I highly recommend it. I'm sure that will get me hired somewhere. Same Probably clear. not. All right, who wants to go next when we talk about the highlights of the conference? Okay, Adam Berg, tell us about what you thought about the conference and some of the highlights and what things you might see next year that might be a little better. Well,
1: for me, Insight 2016 was the biggest and best Insight ever. I mean, not only because we now have solid fire part of the fold, just increases the, um, the offerings that we're, we get to hear and learn about here um, at, at Insight 2016, but I think there were 16 new product announcements at Insight. I think that's a record, not only well, all new FAS line, all new All Flash FAS, ONTAP 9.1, for me, this, this was just the biggest and best show. There was so much more to hear about, to learn about, and, and the engineers that we got to interact with, the new solid fire engineers that we got to talk with, that was really the highlight for me.
2: Awesome, do you, was there anything you think that we could have done better?
1: Oh boy, Doing, um, I mean, for me, this, this show is great. So just to, the only thing that we can do better is just keep making it more technical. Make those um, general sessions and the keynotes, make them super te- technical, more demos more pumping up the new products. Um, and that, you know, to me, more lasers. just more lasers. I love that.
2: <laughs> yeah, lasers are definitely good, especially lasers, like sharks with lasers on their heads, right? I mean, that would be pretty awesome. Um, and and in, the, in the general session, you know, Roger Anderson actually did an informal poll of the audience and said more technical or not, and everybody voted more technical for the most part. So we should keep seeing the technical aspect of that, and we, we're not going to try to go the route of making it more of a marketing-driven thing. Um, who is next? You? Yeah.
6: All right. So, Rory McBride, give us your thoughts on Insight this year. Yeah, I mean, I will just like to echo what um, Adam said there, that there's just so many announcements that I think for those people in the UK and the rest of Europe who haven't registered for EMEA, there is a lot that you want to pick up this year that uh, you should uh, definitely get yourselves over to Berlin in a few weeks' time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, this is my first time over at Vegas. Um, Enjoyed it, it's a different beast. Um, it's a bit more laid back for, for America than, than I was expecting, but yeah, there was some good content. Um, I was able to get my ass in this morning for a session with uh, Val, and uh, he was uh, on top form, as always, talking about the cloud and why it's important for us to to think about it um, and look at it from a developer's point of view, which I think echoed the session that Sully and Josh Atwell did in the in the main stage. Uh, yesterday evening. Um, so, yeah, it was really good. Um, hopefully I can get to come back next year. I haven't uh, put a dot next to my visa <laughs> or on my passport. So as far as
2: improvements, anything you, th- you thought that could have been a little better for the next time or, you know, things that we could carry over into Berlin?
6: Um, I, I think, yeah, the core message is, was great. Uh, I think, you know, that you've got the the right exec sponsorship and, and, and speakers on stage from NetApp. Uh, I think um, we would like to see a bit more... Um, from, from more of the technical audience, I think, than the, the marketing side of things. So I think that's always what we were here for. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult to, to meet everybody's needs. Now we've got customers here. But i um, sitting around talking with some of them over lunch today. You know, they were getting a lot out of it, you know, even if it was their first or second time here. They're, they're wanting to come back next year. And uh, thankfully, they've already got the date as to when it is. Excellent.
2: Yeah, next year, this will be still at uh, Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. And I think they said October 2nd. Second yep.
5: All right. Uh, who's next? All right, Dan Barber. Yeah, so um, I I think one of the things that most impressed me about this year was was when George Curian got on the stage and said, you know, hey, we, we need to make some changes. And the industry is changing, and everybody knows it, and we need to make changes too. And we've been working on that. And to hear a CEO of a major company say, you know, we're changing and we're doing some hard work, uh, I really admire that, and, and it's something you don't hear a lot in, in the tech sector, and uh, I think it shows that they're listening to their customers, and that's what NetApp's been all about, right? NetApp's always been a customer-focused company. We're here to make you successful as a business, and what that demonstrated to me is he's putting his money, you know, where his mouth is. Yeah, I've been really impressed with the candor that George has had overall. I mean, he's he doesn't pull any punches,
2: he says what he thinks and what he means mm. and deliver, delivers on that. And I think that's something that's important to have with a seat, not just with a CEO, but a CEO of a company that's trying to turn around and, and re—you know reinvest themselves into other areas. Yeah. Yeah. All right, who's next? Jesse. All
4: right, you probably know what I'm gonna say, but developers, man. This year has been like the rise of the developer within this uh, convention. Um, they had the developer cafe, and for me, that was a highlight. I sat there and bugged the hell out of those people, and I feel really bad for them, but they were, they were great. Josh Atwell, and uh, I'm going to misspell or mispronounce, but Rippy and Caslin, I, I sat down with them, the Docker guys, uh, Sully, and it was just great to get that interaction and to see the focus that NetApp really put into developer community in, in this particular convention this year. Any constructive criticism for that particular aspect? Um, So like the two things I'd like to see better for next year, uh, more with the developer cafe. Uh, I would love to see maybe developer specific labs, right? Like give the developer an opportunity to utilize some of the technology on top of NetApp. We already have labs that say, how do you configure stuff? Well, let's have some labs for the developer guys that say this is exactly how we tie in. This is how you actually, not just the demos, the demos were awesome, but how do you tie into that? Um, so maybe some developer-specific labs would be really cool, um, and power outlets at the developer cafe. I was like, what, man? <laughs> no, power outlets. <laughs> uh, we're, we're all sitting around with computers, and you can't plug into anything. That was my only complaint. So, And more Photon. Torpedoes.
6: What's a Photon? <laughs> Is that like a Docker? Okay, who's next? I'd also think they, they should have opened up the hackathon to partners rather than just being a net app event. That would be good yes. next year. Okay, cool. Hackathon as partner
2: event as well. Kyle, what about you? From a more SolidFire-specific technical perspective, what do you think about Insight overall and what sort of things would you have
3: improved? Yeah, certainly. I mean, this, this was my first Insight. So to experience it from the role of a presenter and uh, you know being part of the, the SolidFire team here at NetApp, uh, it, it was really great. Um, the level of engagement that we received from... Partners from core NetApp team uh, and from customers was was really encouraging. Uh, just really great questions. The the level of interest in SolidFire uh, specifically and it ties into what some of you know Dan's messages uh, around you know this company truly is pivoting right now and so it feels great to be part of that. And um, you know I'll, I'll say you know in being very frank, there, there was a bit of trepidation, at least on my own part, if I'm you know, open and honest with you guys about this, and, and I appreciate the fact that A-Team is here, right? and I presented together uh, you know, with, with Scott. Uh, Dave and I worked on building this presentation together, so I really felt welcomed, not only by customers and partners, but by, by the whole community here, and I think um, that's something that our culture together Uh, NetApp and the SolidFire team, very compatible. And so I I really enjoyed this conference. Actually, I'll say it it exceeded the expectations that I had coming in initially.
2: Yeah, I think there's been a lot of excitement overall for you guys. Like, you know, the fact that SolidFire is here, the fact that we acquired. And and really what I think has, has happened here is that we've discovered that SolidFire and NetApp have more in common than we originally thought. And Dave Hitz called it out when the acquisition originally happened. And he, he said the culture at SolidFire kind of mirrored the culture at NetApp in the early days. And I think that's accurate. I think that you guys epitomize what NetApp used to be and what we strive to be in the future. It's harder at a big company to have that startup culture because you have a lot of moving parts. But um, you guys are doing a good job, I think, influencing that culture. And I think a lot of the, the developer-focused stuff has been influenced by you guys. All right, Taylor Regan.
0: I think the partnership with Amazon is the one thing that kind of surprised me more than anything else, right? We get, we, you know, NetApp now has a number of solutions that they're going to market with with Amazon. Both the Cloud Sync product, being able to move data seamlessly into Amazon and also the, the software as a service Office 365 backup recovery product. Um, these are not solutions that you would typically see coming from NetApp. They're not anything that would integrate with ONTAP or with SolidFire. These are these are standalone cloud-based data management products, um, and it's 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 refreshing to see NetApp actually embrace this. Right, they actually are truly embracing the cloud now, and with these solutions, I think it's going to be, you know, I like to see more innovation around this. It's going to be a game changer for sure.
2: Yeah, and on that general session, I'll I'll point out again the uh, this, the statement was made that NetApp's not trying to build their own cloud. They're basically trying to use what we have in terms of our tools and our storage technologies to enable other people to have their own clouds, to enable other people to move within clouds with the data fabric. So I think that's an important key message here. Chris Mackey, you have not spoken yet. I have not. I do kind of want to echo what an overarching theme's been in
4: that uh, NetApp is really pivoting to a DevOps-focused model and focusing more on the developer. And I think that the addition of SolidFire as the latest thread in their fabric has really helped introduce that culture into that uh, into NetApp as the community. Um, other than that, there's been, there's been cool new uh, announcements around platforms and, and uh, fabric pools. I think that's some uh, cool new stuff coming
2: out. Thread in the fabric. Did you write that down, maybe on your phone? Uh, no, I just wrote thread. Uh, fabric just kind of came up. <laughs> that's good, that's good. It shows that you can innovate on the fly there. I like that. Uh, Jarrett. One
7: thing that I wish was done a little bit different is there wasn't a lot of focus on some of the biggest changes for the customers. And I'm talking about the fact that in the latest version of, of uh, 9.0 and then the soon-to-be-released released one, we're finally getting NetApp volume encryption, and this is game-changing. Uh, security has definitely been at the heart of what NetApp has been doing lately, but they need to announce it more. They need to share it more with the people. and and really especially the partners who might be designing a lot of the solutions. So they added functionality where all across the board with 9.0 RC2 that internal key management can use, but now one step further, volume encryption. And really that going along with the developer aspect, going along with all the new products, security is an absolute critical piece of the overall landscape.
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we've always kind of had a problem with, I think, at NetApp is the announcement of things, right? Being able to give people kind of a, an excitement built around it. And we're getting better with that, so we do things like announce things like SnapMirror, SolidFire, a year ahead of time, or however long it takes for it to come out. AltaVault last year, you know, we announced that and we delivered on it. So things like NetApp volume encryption, of course, would be good to announce earlier. That would help out with a lot of the partner in the field to be able to, you know, architect things and sell things. And funny story, I actually recorded a podcast on NetApp volume encryption like three weeks ago. And I was like, hey, can we release this? And they're like, no, you have to wait. There's an embargo. And the reason why there was an embargo there is because the press had all their stuff and they were going to release it all on the same day. And if I broke that embargo, that would cause them to start to, like, either get mad or release their stuff early I get the control, release the messages, but I also think it's a good idea to generate excitement ahead of time. I mean, if you announce it a few weeks ahead, it's not like your competition is gonna develop it right then, right? It's gonna take them a little while to catch up, so. Well, the, the big thing is most of
7: the competition already had a much better play for encryption overall than NetApp did, so NetApp has leveled the field and gone above and it wasn't spoken about this week like it should have. This this should be celebrated. This should be really touted and shown as if you aren't doing one of the many layers of security and encryption that we have, why not?
2: Yeah, and if you're interested in NetApp volume encryption, we did release the podcast this Monday when they had the press releases, so if you want to listen to that podcast. And if you don't know what NetApp volume encryption is, it's per volume encryption, not at the entire hardware level and storage level. Atanas, last but not least, um, tell us about what you liked here at NetApp Insight this year, as well as the things you think could be better.
9: Well, uh, Adam already said that were like like six, 16 new announcements, new product announcements this year. Well, well, probably everyone expects to have a bigger, better hardware. I believe the best thing for me was the old new on top nine and nine one with all the new features. And well, there are performance improvements with that not only improve performance on flash but also on spinning disk. I mean, the great thing was things like Flex Groups or uh, what were they called? Uh, the Fabric Pool. Fabric Pool, yeah. The Fabric Pool. Uh, well, finally, you can have one big you know, container of data that spans across the whole your storage infrastructure. So you don't have to think where I should put my files here or there and how to move them if something go wrong, performance wise at least. And then imagine the ability to actually offload all the data you don't want to have on your flash tier, but it has to be there, like snapshots and backups, and still make it as tier one data. That's just fantastic. Yeah,
2: so Fabric Pools was announced during the general sessions, basically automatic policy-based data tiering off of your storage into either uh, public or private cloud, and eventually on-prem stuff, right? So, all right, anyone else wanna talk about anything before we get kicked out of this room?
3: Pete Fletcher, um, what did you think? Yeah, so for me, you know, from, as a VMware employee now, you know, VMware has a really strong partner, partnership with NetApp, ha, always has, we have a really strong partnership with SolidFire as well. So when you guys became one company, this was really exciting for people at VMware because we got to see customers from both SolidFire and NetApp here because we have partnerships with both. And so, uh, strong VVOL implementations from both SolidFire and NetApp, and so it was really great to be able to, to reach our joint customers. Uh, That was exciting for me. The other thing I was going to say, like most of the folks in the room have been saying, the strong emphasis on DevOps uh, really impressed me, and it really told me that uh, NetApp is getting much back to the game of innovation. I like how you snuck VVols in there. That was was (laughs) well-placed.
2: Well-placed. All right, guys, thanks so much for not only uh, helping me podcast, but attending Insight, being great advocates, um, hugging dinosaur inflatables, and all the ilk uh, thanks again, and um, I guess we'll see you either in Berlin or next year. Andrew and I had a chat with Jeff Bonney and Mike Capner of NetApp about NetApp IT. All right, we're here at NetApp Insight Day 3. I was able to corral a couple of NetApp bigwigs here. Jeff Bonney and Mike Kapner, Uh they're going to tell us a little bit about what they
8: do here at NetApp and some of the things we're going to talk about today. Uh, Jeff Bonney, let's start with you. Okay, uh, I'm the VP of Foundational Services in IT. Um, we've changed the name from Infrastructure, that. People normally would know it by into foundational because we expanded beyond traditional infrastructure we had security we do some applications everything else we're trying to change how uh, you know from a services point of view and go beyond just infrastructure so I have the data centers um, customer one which hopefully many people are familiar with Um, I've got some some application tools like ServiceNow and some other things
10: all right Mike uh, what about yourself uh, Mike Kapner, I'm over uh, Enterprise Business Applications, so the development and also EBA, which we call Enterprise Business Analytics. Uh, I own basically all the enterprise apps. So anything that we use from an enterprise point of view uh, at NetApp is in my shop. Um, and I kind of own the stack. So I own developers, I own middleware folks, database folks, and all the testing stuff. So that kind of falls under me. So between me and Jeff, we kind of own the vast majority of any uh, IT stuff going on at NetApp.
2: I apologize because I haven't had lunch yet. So when I heard apps, I was thinking appetizer. <laughs> like, I was like, "Where's the potato skins?" <laughs> ah, Vegas. All right. So um, Andrew Solomon, actually, I got him here too as well. I haven't been able to find him all week. Hi, Andrew. Hello. <laughs> I'm I'm not important. It's,
11: it's about these two gentlemen.
2: Obviously, I've been proving that you're you're non-critical. So I mean, all right. So anyway, let's start it off by talking about the uh, the customer one and customer zero program. So. NetApp employees know a little bit about customer one and customer zero, but we want to maybe touch on some of the differences between the two programs. And for those of us that don't know what customer one and customer zero are, let's just give it kind of a high level overview of
8: that sure. and how it's helping customers succeed with NetApp. Sure. Um, this was kicked off probably a little over two and a half years ago. Um, uh, Al Alyssa's team and in, in ProdOps, um, they've been doing customer zero, which is basically getting the code fresh off um, the developer's compilation and, and testing it out. Um, and they quickly realized they don't have all the environments to really put some really good, thorough tests on it. They they can run tests, you can do performance tests, but running real-world, you know, customer data through it is it was a missing piece. Um, so we had got together and they said, well, "What could you do?" Well, you know, at first, obviously, being an IT shop, you're naturally uh, prone to uh, make huge changes which may impact um, but what we did we came up with a scheme to where we have a pretty significant size subprod environment Subprod being instead test stage development um, and we said you know what we'll start putting early release code um, on that environment um, so um, our team does you know the early testing which catches the major bugs right if something has a panic or whatever else um, and then we get it right immediately after that very early before um, you know before GA um, RC1 or earlier Um, and we put it in our subprod environment which has real-world data and workloads um, and we shake it out as best as possible and provide that feedback. Um, So that's really the separation and the value has been pretty significant. We've been able to catch a lot of uh, showstopper bugs and and some some other things. Um, And it's expanded beyond that to where actually providing some input and some features and everything else. So it's it's really grown over the years from you know, IT sort of being a, a back office shop to actually really providing some some value into the product itself.
10: I think we're seeing it as a partner actually.
8: Yeah, as part of it's it. It's been a huge change.
10: So, do you prefer
2: the term "eat your own dog food" or "drink, drink your own champagne"?
8: You know, I've heard about seven different ways to phrase it. Um, I'll take any. of The fact that we're doing it, I'm I'm happy. Um, yeah, use our own stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's that's no fun though. The, the, <laughs> yeah, the the level of testing we've been able to do has been been great. Um, I mean, we we're running somewhere around over 500 release changes a year now, so it's pretty significant volume coming through, um, and and it's been good. It's been a really good experience all the way around.
2: As a customer, if you come into it and you you ask NetApp, hey, do you use your own stuff? And you say, absolutely. That shows that you have faith in your own software and products
8: and that you want to use it and it's going to be worthwhile for your business use cases. And an interesting output of it, too, because obviously we can't use every single product we produce, right? We're a real IT shop, right? So we'll use what, what the right use cases are. And some actually great feedback's been, well, why aren't you using it? Or, you know, or we use it in certain ways. Why aren't you using it in these three or four different ways? And, and we provide valuable feedback into it on why we don't. So... Yeah, you know, give some thought. Well, Jeff, you
11: and I we see each other fairly frequently mm-hmm. in the EBCs and the RTP, and you know, usually customers get super excited about talking with your organization and finding out how NetApp is doing IT. Uh, so, beyond just using you know early versions of of you know pre-release versions of OnTap, are there other things that you're doing that are less traditional that that cause or pique that interest from the customers?
8: We, we, again, yeah, great question. Um, actually, you know, since we're an IT shop, those IT to IT communications um, they usually like because you know they have similar problems, right? We're all trying to solve problems. Uh, we're all cost constrained. Um, we all have to get more and more efficient, and effective. So um, we figure out ways, whether it's scripting or, or any other types of automations, and we share that, right? It's with our own products, and we have scripts to uh, to to quickly turn up C dot, which we we share with customers, and you guys have probably seen blogs on it, or whatever else. So that you know, added on to those kind of discussions, you know, solving, you know, IT to IT problems is really the big benefit they get the value out of. So you mentioned script. Are you using any sort of automation suites
2: like Puppet, Chef, or anything like that to, to roll things out?
8: Yeah, we, we have a, a huge um, automation suite. We have our hybrid cloud solution, which we've been working on for about the past year and a half, almost two years now, um, which basically has ServiceNow front end. Um, and that's a service catalog. Um, and depending on, and it's, a, it's got a cloud decision framework, so basically depending on, uh, certain criteria whether it's you know highly confidential data or it's you know um, something that's an existing environment that's already within your infrastructure and you have latency issues you'll it'll decide whether you're going to put it in a public cloud or private cloud um, and when you go down below that there's there's um, automation built where if you're building on-prem it'll go to OpenStack and then provisioning uh, our storage and everything via that way. If you're going into the cloud, we use a, a product called IT app to provision it. So yeah, we have a lot of scripts that once it's provisioned, it automatically gets put into our, our CMDB, our database. Once it's in the database, it on, our, our monitoring tool automatically picks up and begins monitored. And if there's an issue, there's an auto ticket generated. So it's a full integration suite that we've, we've built. I was, I was gonna
10: say, and in, in the integration into the CMDB has really been key to that, right? So our environments become much more stable, I would say. You know, I've been here 18 months, but you know, a couple of years ago, uh, there's a lot of instability in the environments because I don't think we fully knew what was in there and how it was configured. So, yeah. um, utilizing like OCI and, uh, and uh, ServiceNow to automate all that updates to the CMDS really helped. Um, and if you look at sort of the struggle that I have is over the course of the last couple of years, I've been asked to really reduce my OpEx. Right? I mean, in, in half, in fact. So uh, all the time of doing that, we still have a lot of changes that go in the environment. In fact, our changes have gone up. Our P1s have gone down, and the costs have gone down. So Mm -hmm. all those things, I think, are part and parcel of making it work. Yeah, it's huge.
11: So, Mike, from your perspective, as the consumer of of Jeff's foundational IT services, is there increased risk, is there increased difficulty leveraging those pre-release versions of ONTAP and other products in those pre-prod environments?
10: of predating me i i heard some rumors <laughs> occasionally we found some stuff that impacted us that wasn't so great but you know what it's better us than our customers so uh, we've had some of that in my tenure here the last couple years it's been pretty stable i think uh the quality's gone way up and our involvement early on has really helped so all i'm so, hearing is that you fixed all the problems apparently <laughs>
8: everything's been fixed
10: but it's been a great relationship i mean with uh, the infrastructure on, on bonnie's side and my side i mean we work really close together so there's no in fact, you know, chatting here and in inside, a lot of the different customers, there's a lot of times where that there's not that synergy that we uh, enjoy here. I, I'm hearing yep. in some of the customers, like I said, you really need to fix that because until you get that, you know, it's not us and them. We work really closely together, and when we have tickets or problems, guess what? We're on the same calls, and we
8: we don't throw anything over the fence to each other. So that's really worked out well. Yeah, and it, it you have to build upon trust, and I think that's what some of the departments don't really have is, is trust between the two organizations. Um, and, you know, I got to be honest with you, kudos to the quality improvement on the product because, you know, when we first started this a couple years ago, we were putting it out there. We're, as early as we can, we were throwing out there and we were having issues. And, of course, the application team lost trust with us, right? Um, but the quality's increased and they've seen that, you know, we've been able to upgrade without impacts and everything else and it's been phenomenal. So, so the stability of the product gave us the trust from my customer base, the application team, and we, I mean, it just makes it flawless at this point.
11: So Mike, are you you seeing, you know, as somebody who owns business applications, it just happens to be at NetApp, an IT infrastructure company, have you seen sort of a foundational shift in application architectures, right? We've mentioned before that there's this cloud decision engine, right, where things get placed into public or hybrid or on-premises, right, cloud offerings and all these other things. And, you know, are you seeing, are you encountering challenges, issues with taking
10: Platform 2 applications and putting them into these sort of Platform 3-esque platforms i would say we're taking a very practical approach to the cloud right so we're kind of doing it um in more of a life cycle event sort of way right so we don't have so many resources sitting around the weakness game let's go move something to the cloud right? right we look at when something becomes um either we need a, a, a life cycle event we need to re- replace hardware or or the software or whatever that's sort of the trigger for us right so i would say it's a it's a very organic way to look at things. If something new comes in, we obviously go cloud first. We look at it, see where it fits, um, along the decision framework that uh, Jeff just mentioned. But the majority of our stuff, I mean, we have you know, some big platforms, Salesforce being one, right? So we're already in the cloud there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a lot of you know, old <laughs> legacy stuff that, if you ask me, do I want to re-host our Oracle ERP financials in the cloud, no. I mean, there's no reason to touch that thing until we start looking at Replacing it, and then see what the next version of cloud financials would be. So I think that's kind of what we're doing. If it's if it's new development, it makes sense. Yeah, it goes on the cloud. But the majority of the stuff that we do is our, our big SaaS apps that we we purchased, and um, and then the legacy stuff that we're putting in as part of our future roadmaps. So do you
11: find as uh, you know things are changing, things are staying the same? Right, as you said, there's no reason to change things. You know, don't break what's or don't fix what's not broken. Um, have you noticed an evolution or a change in the underlying skill sets of the people that work for your respective organizations, right? Have, have new skills had to develop or be, a, be acquired, talent acquisition?
10: Yeah, what I, what I find is if you like IT, then the new stuff should be exciting to you, right? So when I started, I coded RPG on AS400, right? And I remember back in the day thinking <laughs> I, it was Accenture and there's some buddies there and they said, let's go start a company that just does this. And I thought, you know, I don't know if I want to do that. Uh, just because you know technology I'm kind of agnostic to it and, and uh, nothing's really changed actually if you start thinking about it right? I mean the cloud you, you know the AS400 is a great conversion infrastructure uh, uh, a mainframe is a great cloud I mean we're kind of going back to the future if you will to to the same sort of men- mentality but um, I think the IT folks by and large um, at least in my team they're very hungry to learn and do new things so we kind of introduce new stuff not because it's new and exciting, we have a need for it. So everything's kind of value-based for us, right? We don't necessarily chase the next cool thing. We gotta be, um, I gotta look at it, um, how, am I gonna, how it's gonna fit in the overall architecture and how I'm gonna maintain and support that in, in a very frugal way, right? So I think that's what drives most of our stuff. I think it's a very practical approach on what we do. And the skill sets and the people, yeah, they, they are coming up, but it's not so different. and. You know, I find the bright folks that we have on our team, they can learn a new a tool or a new skill set, you know, in weeks.
8: Yeah, I don't think technology is really driving um, the change in skill sets. I think the 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 change that we're driving into the professionals is moving from a build-run type of thing to a really services-oriented, because that's a very different mindset. Um, and that's where we're having to grow and, and really put some effort in, in, in training the folks. Um, is because when you switch that services point of view, you're sort of pulling back a little bit from that technology, right? You're, you're looking at it from a holistic point of view. I mean, you are become accountable for something versus just somebody that owns one component, you're accountable for the entire service. So um, that's been a change, and actually they've taken pretty well to it. Um, like I say, if, if you're in technology and you don't like to change and do new things, you don't last.
10: Uh, right. You know, if I would have been out coding RPG, I don't know where I'd be. I don't know where that's happening, but I think I'm better <laughs> off where I'm at right now.
11: Yeah. And, and I would say the same thing. So you mentioned you know automation and all of these other tool sets, and one of the things that I always bring up when I you know here at Insight when I'm giving sessions is that you know automation isn't eliminating jobs; it's allowing us as IT practitioners to focus on more important things, right? The things that are more critical to the business. And I would love to know if you have
8: any anecdotal evidence of that, or or even. Yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, you've always get you always have more ask than you have people, and IT's always and forever been that way. Um, so if you stay status quo, you're always going to be in that position. Um, you know, if you look at automation, automation, this, this goes back to a mantra I've had for years, you have standards, right? Standards are repeatable. If something's repeatable, it's automatable. If it's automatable, you, people really don't want to do the same thing over and over again. So get rid of those types of things that are, are tasks that are the same thing over and over again so that they can start focusing on the innovative stuff. Since we've been reduced with staff and, and, um, and as well as, as dollar-wise, um, you, had to, you have to sort of self-fund that innovation. So the more work you can get automated, the more time you can take for those people to focus on innovation stuff, which is really like they like to do. So, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I'll
10: just add to that. I mean, my whole philosophy when I talk to my folks is you don't want to, maybe back in the day, the knowledge that you had maybe felt, make, make you feel kind of secure in your job. So you don't really want to part that out. And you become kind of a knowledge hoarder. I think those days are done. I think if, if we want to break that up. If we see someone that's not sharing and, and kind of you know, hoarding knowledge to try to save a, a role, that's not where you want to be, right? You want to actually work your way out of that role into the next role. Right. That's what's kind of exciting. And at least in our groups, we like to move people across things, right? If you look at, you know, at least I can use myself as an example, I've been in infrastructure, right? I've been in applications. I've been in the BI space. I've been in the network side. So knowing different things, actually really gives you an appreciation of how you can go, like we just talked about, mm-hmm. up up the pyramid, if you will, mm-hmm. talking to our customers, as our business folks, and being more of a broker now of these technologies. Because now with the whole cloud you know, SaaS stuff, um, you want to be at the forefront of that because it doesn't solve a problem. The, just because it's on the cloud doesn't necessarily solve it. Like we're not needed anymore. I think we're more needed now than ever before to kind of put this all together and and help our business folks kind of transcend the, that kind of chasm, if you will. So do you, do you believe that the,
11: the sort of IT specialist, right, somebody who focuses solely on a single product, you know, the, the deep, not wide type of uh, knowledge set, is that something that is largely starting to diminish where now we are expecting people to have a, a wider but not
10: necessarily deep understanding of more technologies? I think there's two types of people, right? So I think there's definitely people that can go deep, very deep, and they're needed. Then there's people that kind of want to go into kind of a management la- layer and more of a design and, and more holistic kind of view. And I think those are the folks that need to jump around and and, and get a broader view of things, and then you have the kind of the management side as well. So those folks that want to really manage folks and kind of go up that layer, I, I kind of see those. Uh, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. I think all those folks can survive very happily in, in the new IT world. But
8: if you if you look at, just look over the past ten years, um, you have convergence of technology. You used to have you know, telecom with PPXs and, and networking, now those are converged. Everything is changing. Now you're here in software-defined. So as you do software-defined, you should programmatically be able to take care of stuff and not necessarily need a lot of over super technology hand on keyboard. Um, with that said, it takes years for all that to happen. This, none of this happens overnight. Um, you know, that if it did, you know, how long has the cloud been around? 12, 14, whatever years? And everybody doesn't jump on at once because there's an affordability factor to that, right? You just don't have enough money to make those kind of decisions. So things take a long time to roll through. Um, and, and that's why we're talking about, you know, IT people are going to constantly change, right? They're going to elevate as that technology changes and as it elevates up, so will the, the people. They'll move to start being more of architects, start more being more design engineers, start being more business relations folks. Um, and, and it'll be different for everybody. It depends on your adoptive rate of the technology and where you're at.
10: You know, at some point, the technology is kind of transparent, I think. And when you start looking at, you're trying to solve a problem, right, a business problem and add the value. And that's not necessarily done at the bits and bytes layer, right? That's done at the high level. And if you can leverage technology to do that, you don't necessarily need to know all the bits and bytes sometimes. I think those are the kind of fun, when you sit down with a, um, a customer or a user, whatever you want to call them, and you understand what they really need, and you help them because a lot of times they'll tell you what they currently do, right? You need to actually anticipate and hear what they're saying and bring them to that, right? And that's the sort of value that we bring. It's not just listen and give you what you want because usually that ends in disappointment. Yeah. You want to take them through that, that change and get them where they need to be. Yeah, one of the
11: sessions that I'm delivering here this week, uh, I open with a couple of slides that came from DockerCon this year where you know Solomon Hikes, the founder of or co-founder of Docker, and you know, obviously a huge containers proponent, and this slide opens with nobody cares about containers, which, of course, somebody cares about containers, right? And I think the same can be said of storage, right? If I am a storage consumer, I don't really care about what's happening under the covers. I just want to consume those resources. I just want to be able to use them, as you said, transparently.
10: Make it so that I can get the things that I need, when I need them, how I need them, as quickly and efficiently as possible. And they all support a business need, right? So the only time I worry about them is if they fail. <laughs> that's when I start hearing about them. That's when I care about them. But ideally, we, we get to the point where, with you know, HA and all this redundancy, that that's going to hopefully improve.
8: Yeah, there's an old phrase, it becomes dial tone. I mean, when you pick up your phone, you want to hear the dial tone. You expect it all the time, right? And that's where some of this technology is coming from you know if you get a quality and you have high quality design and product it just runs and that's when people start sort of getting disconnected from it because it's just always there.
11: So the last question that I have for you is you know particularly for you Mike right applications are changing Um, you know I like to say that there's two types of applications there's applications that believe the infrastructure to be infallible right the network will always be there the storage will always be there I will always have enough CPU cycles and enough RAM and then there's applications that know that no that's not true so do you see a shift in you know, things like advanced data services moving up the stack, up the layers into the application versus being provided at the infrastructure layer, or is that something that's still not largely happening?
10: I think that's um, still not happening quite yet. I think um, as we get more stability in there, because I still look at everything like and have the application anticipate problems. because. If you don't, you're usually in trouble. And I don't know if this is gonna be a generational thing or not, but I'm still concerned about that, right? I wanna have my, my application always run and not worry. If something happens, you still, you know, it should never throw off an error, right? You should never die. You should never abend. That should not be something that you see any longer. Um, so I hope to get there, I certainly do. And I think uh, I've seen a lot more strides in the last five years than I had in my first, you know, 20 years of my career in that space. Um, you know, the other area, I mean, maybe it's a little bit off topic that I think is going to be kind of critical going forward is this whole, you know, I'm a consumer of technology, right? So I'm a little concerned about, you know, the, the, the lock-in to these big vendors, even AWS, right? I mean, those are all concerns. I think we got to get to the point where, and I think containers will actually help this, where we can run apps that aren't hosted by, you know, the, the big providers of apps, as soon as you go in there and they're running your infrastructure and and your application and you can't move quickly, the app or the data, I'm concerned about that. I like to be able to say, you know what? I want to run it on Azure tomorrow. I want to run it on AWS tomorrow. So more kind of cloud agnostic applications, if you will. I think that's where I see us headed. And uh, from a consumer of that, that's where I'd like to see us go. All right, so uh, Mike
2: Capener and Jeff Bonney, thank you so much. If people wanted to get in touch with you on social media, Jeff Bonney, how do they get in touch with you? At Bonnie Jeff. All right, at Bonnie Jeff. And that's B O N I. B O N I. And Mike Capener. At MT Capener. C A P E N E R. All right, at MT Capener. We can follow Mike Capener. Also, if you want to follow NetApp IT, it's at NetApp IT. And you can get lots of information from that Twitter handle as well.
11: Yeah, the Customer One program has a great uh, history of publishing the things that they're doing. So make sure to check out the blog posts and all of that that happen on community.netapp.com.
8: Absolutely.
2: All right, guys. Thanks Thanks. so much for sitting in and talking. Thank you. was fun. Thanks. That wraps up this year's NetApp Insight in Las Vegas. Wir sehen uns in Berlin.
8: And also this. Oh,
9: yeah.
3: Yeah. Understand, we're we're recording. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. We're going to leave in two seconds. (laughs) It looks like we're getting kicked out, Glenn.
5: Yeah, tell me about it. All right.